Boy, we really do want to encourage you to vote. You know, folks, the, the Bible commands you and me, Jesus commands you and me to be salt and light. And uh, without going into a whole thing on what that verse means, it means have an influence. We're to have an, an influence on our culture, on our community. Obviously, there's lots of ways that we do that. But what is an easier way than voting? And when you look at how many Christians down throughout history have had a government thrust on them. Man, the fact that we get to have some say, we get to choose that, uh, I I think we have to be responsible with that. So uh, start thinking about voting, praying. Remember when we go into that booth, it's not to represent a gender or a color or an ideal. We go there to represent Jesus Christ, right? We go into that booth. To represent what he has said. We go to represent him. Hey, it really has become easy to kind of get registered. If you are not registered or maybe you've moved since the last vote, uh, you saw the slide, which is is gone. But I I believe on the back of your bulletin uh, under the sermon notes, you actually can text now and begin the process of of getting registered. It is rather easy uh, to do that. So get registered and uh, look toward, I guess, a little over a month from now, we'll be voting. You know, there is other ways, as I said, to influence our community. And one is to invite people to church, right? To invite people to be here with us. And uh, we've got a big inviting coming up this Saturday. We do a thing here called Go Fish, uh, where we go out in our community and uh, knock on doors and leave door hangers. And we're doing that this particular Saturday, folks, because we have so many exciting things happening in October that we really believe whether a person's a churchgoer or not, comes here or not, they're going to be interested in this. They're going to want this. We have a, a thing called Family Blitz. Uh, for you families, it's a Nickelodeon type event. Uh, and it's, it's a national tour that, that goes throughout the nation, and we're going to be hosting that. We've got that going on. We have a parenting conference uh, going on, trunk or treat, a new service. There's just a lot of things happening. We want to make our community aware of that and invite them. So here at the Colonial Heights campus, we're going to do that this Saturday, Midlothian. I believe Pastor Hamill shares some details with you later, about a little bit later in the month that you'll do that. But this Saturday, we're going to meet here between 9 and 10. You don't have to be here at 9 o'clock. If you want coffee and donuts, we're going to be meeting between 9 and 10. And about 10 o'clock, we're going to be on the road. And we're basically going into Colonial Heights, going down Harrogate, uh, those neighborhoods, hoping to hit about 1,000 homes. Uh, and obviously, the more of us that are here, uh, the faster that, that goes. You know what? Even if there's not a lot of us here, I can just about tell you, if, if you're heading out the door here at 10 o'clock... Probably not much before, I mean, a little before 11, you'll be on your way home. It, it does not take a long time. It's a, it's a real fun, simple way. So sure hope you'll join us. Come get some coffee and donuts, 9, 9.30, 9.45, and, and we'll go out and hit the highways and byways, inviting people, letting them know what's happening here, what's here for them and, and for their families. Well, folks, Psalm 119, are you enjoying our study of the Bible? Get it? Okay. Wow, that's kind of kind of encouraging. (laughs) So we're studying the Bible. And uh, when I say the Bible, we study that every Sunday, right? We're studying about the Bible. We're learning about what we hold here. Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, a little Bible trivia, is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 175 verses. No, I'm not getting ready to read all 175 verses. Uh, long, longest chapter, it's the longest psalm. And do you know what the entire psalm is about? The, the, the Bible, because that's the subject, right? Why, why would I say it's about the end times? <laughs> psalm 119, it's about the Bible. Now, you won't hear the word Bible but you'll hear a whole bunch of synonyms for the word Bible. See if you can pick out some of them as I read a few of these verses. Psalm 119, I'm beginning in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in all his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Did you hear a few words in there? Folks, it sounds like there's some real blessing for you, for me, If we're following, if we're studying, if we're reading, if we're learning, if we're obeying these words, laws, statutes, precepts, testimonies, commands, what are all these words? Where are they all found? In our Bible. And there's a lot of blessing in there for us. Now, you know, those laws, precepts, statutes, commands, principles, you you know they were actually written in Greek. They were written in Hebrew. They were written in Aramaic. You ever heard the phrase, it's all Greek to me? <laughs> yeah. You know, so how am I going to, how am I going to get that blessing? How am I going to get all that these things have for us if, if they're in another language? Well, they have to be translated, right? And obviously our focus is always going to be on getting translated into English. But you know, translation's not just into English. It's into Spanish, it's into Korean, it's into Russian, it's into Chinese. And, and, and boy, translation's a, it's a significant issue. It's a big thing to say this Greek word or this Hebrew word is best represented by this English word. That, that, that's a big thing to, to say. I've studied Hebrew for two years. I studied Greek for three years. I've done translation. And you know what? There are times when an English word just falls short. We don't really have a word that fully captures the essence of, of what's being said in that Hebrew word. And, and so then you've got to work through, how are we going to do that? How are we going to communicate what's being said in that word or, or in that sentence? Sometimes in, in, when you think of translation, you don't think, you think of one language to another, right? You, do you ever think of translating English to English? Because sometimes the English gets old, right? Sometimes there's words we used 100, 200, 300 years ago. We don't even use those words. And in some cases, words actually take on 
almost entirely new meanings. Remember back way, way, way back in the olden days when saying that somebody was on fire kind of meant something bad. That was kind of an emergency, right? Now, man, if you're on fire, I'm sending an emoji about it. I mean, what could be better than to be on fire? Yeah, that's translation. You, you understand what I just talked about there? That there there's a word, fire. Everybody knows what that means. No, there's, there's a context. I've got to understand the context so that I didn't know how to translate and whether I send you an emoji or a paramedic. There's a huge difference, isn't there? So, so we, have to, we have to translate. And that, that's always a big issue. That's always a big deal. And we want to rightly do that. And today, we have a lot of translations out there. Now, why do we have all those translations? Well, because publishing companies want to make money. It, it, that's a joke. <laughs> I mean, they do. They, they do. That is a part of it. They want to sell new Bibles. They want to sell new ideas. But I don't think, don't, don't approach it that skeptical. Uh, so, sometimes we, we have a group of people that will just say, hey, what if we were? And how about if, do we really have this represented out there? And you know what? There's, there are good translations. There are not so good translations. You want to know the really funny thing? You probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So when we start using words like good and bad and accurate, probably not going to be able to tell the difference. So we do, we have, we'll have a publishing company and they'll say, hey, we want to produce, and, and then they'll fill in the blank. We, we, we want to produce an updated version. We want to produce uh, something that kind of picks up this certain idea or feel. And then they'll pull together a team. And, and a team, because I'm going to refer, the reason I'm explaining this is I'm going to refer to a group throughout this message. A, a group might be 30 to 50 people. And it's not that 50 people are all sitting around a table and they all work on Genesis 1-1. And when all 50 agree, then we move to 1-2. That, that's not how it works. You'll, you'll put together 30 or 50 people because uh, John Smith over here, he's not just an expert in Hebrew He's an expert in the way Jeremiah uses the Hebrew. So let's get him to do Jeremiah and Lamentations. And then he'll go back to usually his seminary and he'll put together a team that's going to work with him on translating Jeremiah and Lamentations. And his team gets no credit for it at all. Just he does. Okay. And, And then we'll go, hey, you know what? Man, Bob over here, he's not just good at Greek. He's good at the way John uses the Greek. Let's, let's give Bob and his team that we won't give any credit to. Let, let's give Bob and his team, John, first, second, and third John, Revelation. So you see how they'll build a team of kind of experts like that, and they'll communicate to the team, hey, here's kind of what our idea is. Here's what we're trying to produce. And then if they want to be on that time, team, then they'll kind of work in that light. And uh, then it'll all come in one day, and then the publisher kind of has the final say, the general editors, the general translators, and they'll, they'll kind of pull it together so they're producing what, what they wanted to produce. And let, let me give you an idea of how you end up with all these different translations, because they do have some different purposes. Uh, wait a minute, before I do that, before we look at the, the different translations, let's see some different translations, right? Should we do that? 
Let, let's actually read it. Because I bet some of you think, well, you know what? Some of the, some of the trends, they contradict each other. And, and some of them do a, a bad job. Well, well let's look. Let, let's put, and I can't put them all up there. But uh, I picked two passages. And, and let me tell you the reason I picked the two passages. I picked two passages I thought would be the most well-known. I picked, I'm not saying this is a fact, in my opinion, probably the best Old Testament, not best, the most known Old Testament passage, Psalm 23, right? And in the New Testament, yeah, say it like you're proud, John 3, 16, that's right. So that was my reason. I I didn't do any comparison. I just said, I'm going to use two passages that I think people probably already have a good... Y'all stop reading it and look at me. Don't read it before I point anything out. Okay? Yeah, so I picked these out that, hey, these are going to be passages people know. Now, you've got four kinds up there. ESV, English Standard. The KJV, King James, the NIV, the New International, and the NLT, the New Living Translation. Let's see the big differences and contradictions. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. All right, that wasn't very helpful. Let's go on. I shall not want, I shall not want, ah, here we go, I lack nothing. Okay, the NIV came along. Uh, obviously, they're looking at the same set of Hebrew words. And, and they said, hey, what, what if we were to say it this way? What is, what is I shall not want? Do, have you ever said I shall not want? Probably not. And so the NIV is saying, how does somebody in 1970 America actually say that? You know what? I don't have any lack. Now, there's, those are different words. I, I lack nothing is a different phrase from I shall not want. Does it mean absolutely anything at all different? No, a, a, absolutely not. Now, the New Living goes a little bit further. They say the exact same thing, but instead of saying it from the negative, they say it from the positive. I got everything I need. You realize I don't need anything and I've got everything I need are the exact same statement, Right? That they mean the exact same thing, one with a positive angle, one more with a, a negative angle. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh, that's, that's our King James, right? The TH, that's some, you know why there's a TH? Because that's how they spoke in 1600. There's not a TH in Greek and Hebrew. That's not a contradiction. That's not a change. It's not that the real scripture adds TH to every three or four words. That's how they spoke. We don't speak that way today, so we take off the TH. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He lets me rest in green meadows. Okay, a little bit different there, probably a little bit more current. Any difference yet in actual meaning? Do you think? Okay, we're all saying no. I think that's a We'll say unanimous. And where do we got? What do we got? He leads me beside still waters. He leadeth me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. I actually like the peaceful streams. Do you know why? Because I've never walked by anything and looked and said, look at those waters. Is waters an accurate word? Of course it is. I can, whether I'm looking at a stream or a lake or a pond or the ocean, those are waters. Those are all waters. 
But we also use them a little bit more specifically, and we say that's a stream, that's a lake, that's an ocean. So the NLT team is looking at where David is, and they're saying, hey, was David, what was David looking at? When he said, God leads him beside these quiet, these still, these peaceful. Was he looking at the ocean? Probably not. What was he? You know, probably looking at a stream. And so, all that's translation. We're just trying to understand what David was communicating, what he was writing when he said that. Now, my guess is when you look at that is why do we even have different translations? There's no difference there. Well, that might be the first thing I want you to notice. There is some difference. Of course, there's some difference, but the difference isn't a change in meaning. No no group is saying, we want to make this say something that it doesn't say. We we want to misrepresent God. We want to go in a new direction. No, they're, they're looking at a word and they're trying to understand how would we best communicate that word today. Let's look at, uh, let's look at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. Gosh, this is going the same direction, isn't it? For God so loved the world. Ah, here we go. For this is how God loved the world. You look at it. I mean, you'd have to get inside the mind of why did, why did they say it that way? Why did they communicate this? But, but that is four different translations. I, you look at, ask me, I think it's all kind of saying the same thing, isn't it? God loved the world. No, nothing has changed whatever word is being used there. That he gave his only son, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his one and only, he gave his one and only. The big word there is there is a word used in the Greek language that is really trying to capture the uniqueness of the sonship of Jesus Christ. In the 1600s, that word would have been begotten. I'm guessing, I don't know for a fact, that nobody in this room has said begotten this week. I might go out on an edge and say, hey, nobody's used begotten in 2018. Is there anything wrong with the word begotten? No. Most of us, though, would have to, you know, if I'm reading the Bible for the very first time, I might actually have to go get a dictionary out and look up what the word begotten means. Because I don't use that word. But I don't have to get out a dictionary and go look up one and only. Okay? Is begotten bad? Of course it's not bad. What were we doing in translations? We're trying to figure out what is the easiest and accurate to communicate in a single moment. Okay, let's keep going. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And let's just cut to the chase. They're all going to say the same thing. We got three eternals and one everlasting. Three eternal lives, one everlasting life. I don't know if there's a difference between eternal life and everlasting life. I think they're identical. I think they're the exact same thing. So one group saying, hey, we're going to use the word streams. A a group saying, we're going to use the word eternal. Those are not contradictions. Those are not trying to change. Oh, Jesus said, don't change the jot or the tittle. The jot and the tittle was in Greek. We don't speak Greek. So how do I get that Greek into an English word? And the choice to choose an English word is not changing the word of God. It's not contradicting the word of God. It's trying to best communicate the word of God. Does that make sense? And whatever we might say, you know, the truth of the matter is when I, when I did this with Psalm 23 and John three sixteen, I was a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping, man, do I need to go find some verses that maybe stand out a little more? 
I mean, because you can. I don't want to put these up here and suggest no matter what verse you put up there, it's just going to look pretty much the same. No, there would be some you'd go, wow, that, that seems in a little bit different direction. Why, why, I wonder why they chose that. And I might, that might drive me to go look at a, yet another translation, which, folks, is a great form of Bible study. You know, I, I think some people, oh, there's all those translations out there. Like, like we can just dismiss it all. Like it's all a big guess, all a big opinion. I, I think you can see in how similar they are. It's not all a big guess. It's not all a big opinion. And some words are more tricky than others, right? And, and so when I'm doing Bible study, man, to have the ability to look at two or three or four translations, I, I'm getting a chance to look at how two, three, four experts, scholars, looked at that word and how they came up with that word and and I get a chance to develop what I understand. I think it's a blessing that we have so many translations. Now, I might have found some that were a little bit more uh, differential than than those that I did, but I, I think the key here, folks, is to understand there's no beliefs in the Christian faith that are found in the translation that you choose. There's not one. You understand? There's absolutely nothing you believe as a Christian because you read the King James. There's not one thing you believe as a Christian because you read the New International. There's absolutely no belief in, our, in Orthodox Christianity that is tied to, that is based on the translation that you use. That's why I say that the, the translations aren't a schism they're, they're an opportunity. They're an opportunity for us to understand. Now, now, why do you say, well, those are still awfully similar. Why did we get all those? Well, different translations do have different purposes. And by the way, if you're holding a Bible, if you open up probably in the first two or three pages, you're, you're going to see a prep. You're going to see words you've never read before. I mean, I'm just getting to Genesis 1-1 as fast as I can, right? But there's actually information in front of your Bible that some of them will list the people that were translators. Not all of them do. Some will. They'll tell you what their goal was, what, what Hebrew text, what Greek text they were using. But they'll tell you what their purpose is. They're not trying to hide that. Okay? So I got a chart up here. And this will give you a little bit of an idea. This is not all the translations. And that right there is quite a few, isn't it? There's more than that, but uh, this will give you kind of an idea. So what we're working with is the uh, kind of the, what, the, the spectrum up there at the top. You've got word for word, thought for thought, and paraphrase. Maybe another way to look at that, word for word, sentence for sentence, paragraph for paragraph. What does it mean? It means that group on, on that end, the word for word end, they're looking at a word and they're not getting up and leaving until they've decided what that word means and they're not moving on to the next one until they all agree on that. And they're putting those words lined up, okay? A thought for thought might say, let's read the whole sentence and then step back and ask ourselves what that sentence just said. And, and how we would communicate that. And, and then paraphrase would be more paragraph for paragraph. I mean, they're, they're reading a big chunk and saying, now, what did we just feel? What, what, what did we just hear? And how would we say that in our language? Now, a paraphrase, which TLB is the living Bible, MSG is the message. Paraphrases are not translations. Okay, it's, it's important to know that. You're not reading a translation when you're reading a paraphrase. You're reading a paraphrase. I'm going a little fast, aren't I? That shouldn't have been too, too hard. You're, you're reading a paraphrase. You say, what the difference? 
those, they may not even been looking at the Hebrew and Greek. They may have been looking at English. They're trying to paraphrase. And their goal, as a matter of fact, another way you could describe this, this spectrum is accuracy to readability. Now, that's a, those are tricky words, accuracy. If you're type A, you're thinking, it's accuracy. That's all that counts, accuracy. I don't, I don't care if I can read it at all. It's just got to be accurate. Well, yeah that, yeah, that sentence just said something, didn't it? it what, what's the advantage, disadvantage? The word for word, you got accuracy, but it can sometimes read a little wooden. It, it, it can read a little stiff because it's actually staying in an order uh, of Greek or Hebrew and not how we would order words in English. They will, to be accurate, they'll, they'll go right, right out of what is in the, in the book and not necessarily clean it up. As you move down the spectrum, they're trying to smooth over some of that grammar, smooth over how... I mean, I, have a lot of you taken Spanish... German, Latin, not Latin, who's taking that? Uh, you, you know, the, we order words differently. You know, whether we put the subject first or the verb first, well, that, that's what we're talking about there. As you move down to the end, you get readability. Obviously, uh, you've really landed on something when you're both accurate and readable. Uh, I tend to use the ESV. You see where that is? And by the way, I, the NASB, KGV, ESV... I, I, w- I don't know that I would have separated those like this graph did. I, and, and because separation makes us think, oh, the NASB is the most accurate, right? Yeah, probably, but I don't know that there would be any real differentiation when you go to KJV or ESV. The, the, the NASB, I used that for about two decades, probably the biggest bulk of my beginning of my Christian life. And I used that... Uh, when I was in, in seminary. So if I was running behind on my Greek or Hebrew homework and I needed to cheat, I, not, not, not cheat, I didn't say that. If, 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 I, if I just needed to be sure, the, the NASB was, that was the place to go. I, I mean, it kind of word for word there. Uh, and, and so you, you've got, you kind of got the NASB, the, the KJ, the ES are going to be on that end. You come to the middle the NIV. I didn't look up. It would be easy to look up. What's the most popular selling Bible today? I'm not 100% sure what it is. The NIV for probably three or four decades has been the most popular. That doesn't mean anything. I'm just telling you who, what translation has been bought the most. Probably the NIV. The NLT, the New Living uh, is right there in the in the middle also, and then you get down to the Living Bible. So the Living Bible came out in the seventies, and boy, there was a love hate relationship with that. Do you, some of y'all remember that? I mean, you loved it because you opened this book up, and my gosh, the scripture sounded so new and fresh, and it was like you were hearing it like you'd never heard before. And others read and said, "Oh my gosh, this is so this is straight from the pits of hell." And and so you either went out and bought it or you went out and burned it. There was not a whoo, there was not a lot of in between on the lip. Understand its purpose. It's a paraphrase. It didn't say that it was word for word. Again, folks, it can be tremendous study to to compare different translations together. Now, so you got the, the Living Bible, super popular there for about a decade. Uh, and, and then just the people, we all got tired of the people burning it and we just walked away all together. And, and so then the publishers, you say, why do we keep producing these Bibles? Well, you had a group that, that produced the Living Bible and they said, hey, what, what if, 
What if we were to maintain the same readability of the living Bible, but take a step back toward translation? Move back a little bit toward accuracy. And guess what was born? The NLT. The New Living Translation. They're, they're cousins. They, they go together. The Living Bible came first. Group said together, let's take it back toward translation. And that's what gave us the, the NLT. So that's kind of a, I don't know if you find that of any interest at all, but at least you got maybe kind of in your mind how we end up with different translations. Some of them are updates and, and it just says update. Other times they come up with new letters, but that's kind of how you, you bounce around. I, I, I tell you the one I like, I, I, there's two I like a lot. I like the ESV. That's what I read from the pulpit. Uh, that's what I study most of the time. Um, in my morning Bible reading, in my morning prayer time, I use the NLT. The New Living. So I use both of those uh, pretty regularly. Um, I use the NLT, and I know it freaks some of you out when I do this, but every now and then I, I read from the NLT up here, don't I? And everybody's going, what in the world is he reading? Where are we? Uh, the reason I do that is, you know, and, and some of you old Baptists will remember this. Remember when we came to church and, and nine out of ten people were holding a Bible in their hand? Yeah, remember, remember back then? And, and the guy that was holding a living Bible, we took him out back and just beat him to death. And, uh, and so, you know, we're, we're holding a Bible in our hands. Well, you know what? That's not as true today. It, it's not as true today that, that everybody in the congregation is holding a Bible. So as a communicator, I, you know, I'm trying to bounce back and forth here. Well, sometimes if I'm reading a real long passage... Or I'm reading a difficult path. There's difficult words. There's difficult ideas. Then I'll, I'll read from the New Living. Because, you know, if somebody is seeing and hearing, comprehension goes up, right? If we're just hearing, comprehension goes down. That's just a fact. That's not a statement about your intelligence. That, 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 that's true for all of us. And so with fewer people actually holding, boy, when I know that I'm reading a long or a difficult passage, I, I want to get something that is as easy to cross the ears as, as possible and comprehend. So that's kind of there. Now, real quickly, I'm gonna, I, I can't take on this debate because it'd be, it'd be more than a service. It, it, it would be more than a sermon. But I know some of you have come from... I wouldn't assume you still believe this or you actually wouldn't be sitting in here. Uh, you come from a church, our familiar church, King James only, right? King James came. Matter of fact, there are some, the real strict King James only actually do not believe that the Greek and Hebrew are the inspired word of God. The 1611 King James is the inspired word of God. That's what God touched. That's what God anointed. Everything else, I mean, we had to have the Greek and Hebrew to get here, but everything after that is from the devil. And, and, and it, is, it is wrong to go to other translations. It, the, the King James is the best. And there's, there's, there is some information that they're using to build that argument. In most cases, they're, they're way overblowing what that information means. But I, I want to tell you the key reason that, that I cannot buy into a King James only. And by the way, I want to be clear about something. The King James Version is an excellent translation. Okay, I'm not talking about the King James. I'm talking about what people do with the King James. Does that make sense? So King James, wonderful Bible. 
excellent translation. Been around for a long time, and it's been good for the church, okay? You, you know, I mean, you're, most of y'all know you're sitting in a Southern Baptist church today, right? And, and I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. I am, I am a proud Southern Baptist pastor. I'm a card-carrying Southern Baptist. You, you know, what? oh, look now, here, the Southern Baptists are clapping. The, the Methodists are going, whoa. What was that all about? You know, most of you don't even know because I, I don't talk about it much. But when I leave our church, I serve Southern Baptists. I mean, I, I, I serve on a national level. I serve on a state level. I was president of the SBC of Virginia. So I want you to I love Southern Baptists. I have not one time in 16 years stepped into this spot right here with a goal to help you be a Southern Baptist, not once. I have not one time stepped to this spot right here and wanted to help you believe like a Southern Baptist. Who cares? I've got one goal when I step up here, and that's that you and I might interact with God's voice. That we might interact with what God has said. And, and hey, if I'm out there having coffee with the other pastors, ours is better than yours, bunch of morons, why did y'all say that? You know, no, I'm proud Southern Baptist. I'm not here to help us be Southern Baptist. I'm here to help us be followers of Christ by the word that he spoke. Now, I just said all that to say this. The only beliefs we have need to rise up out of this book. The idea that a King James alone is God's word does not come from this book. There's nothing in here that tells me there's going to be one wholly authorized version. There's nothing in here that tells me you need to look for one. All the others are from down there. There's nothing like that. That is a belief that is entirely developed outside of Scripture. Not only that... It is a dominant belief for those churches. Many of them will actually be out on the sign, won't it? King James only church. In other words, don't come here if you're not. And and I'm not saying that to be funny. They actually part company with other believers if you're not that view. So it's not just that they have the belief. It is a dominant governing belief of their entire Christian life. And it's nowhere found in Scripture. That's the main reason. Now, we can get into all the other debates about the different texts and what they're using. And and yes, I've studied that. Yes, I've looked at it. And I feel blessed that we have a lot of translations to work with and draw from. And the funny thing is I want to say, hey, King James folks, have you ever lined up your Bible next to one of the others? And boy, if the devil was doing something there, he didn't look to do a very good job. Says the same thing. So... That's my statement on that. You say, well, which one should I get, pastor? You know, a lot of times, I mean, I did this growing up. Our family did this. Growing up. We bought whatever the pastor was reading, right? I, I want to I be holding what he's holding. I want to be able to read along with him. I don't know if that's as true today or not. Uh, I, I was always just very grateful we didn't change pastors every two or three years because Bibles are expensive. I mean, they just don't give those things away, which is the really good news for us today. I mean, if, hey, listen, if you're thinking about a Bible for Christmas or, hey, I'm going to go try that translation out, take it for a little test drive, you can do that for free. You don't have to pay a word. On your phone, 
We have, I, I, you know, I hold up having the Bible in your hand. I, I should have brought my phone. It's in my office. Could y'all, no, I won't go get it. But your, your phone, so you version, Y-O-U version, because you pick the version. Oh, is that why they named it that? Yeah, so you version, one of the most downloaded apps in the world and the number one Bible app downloaded in the world. And so you, you down, it's in either phone or e- either store. You download it for free. And so you go there and you, you, you I'm going to read Psalm 23. And you're reading Psalm 23 and you go up to the top and you change it to another translation. And you go up to the top and you change it to another. I mean, literally with the tap of a finger, you can read it through three, four, five different translations. If you know, hey, I'm really thinking about this one. Well, I, no kidding. Take it out for a test drive for two or three weeks. And if you really like it, then go buy that if you want a hard copy there in your hands. But you really do. And I, I encourage, especially if you use one translation all the time, sometimes it's really helpful to kind of pick up. But what we're talking about here is not different meaning. A lot of times it's just a different sound kind of a different way that it reads, and that kind of opens in our eyes afresh. It makes us look at it afresh, right? Uh, so a lot of times, folks, when we talk about different translations, when people are being dismissive of that, they, they don't actually mean translations. They mean interpretation because there's a difference, right? Yeah, we're, not, we're, not, we're not saying anything out loud on that one, are we? Is there a difference? Yeah, so translation is from one language to another, right? Interpretation is all inside the same language. We're just trying to figure out now what it means. And so you, you will hear today. You will hear today at work, at school. Oh, there's, you know what? Nobody knows. There's all kinds of interpretations. You guys can't even make up your minds. One group believes this. Another group believes that. And, and so we, are there a lot of interpretations? Yes, You know what, folks, there's places where maybe a particular verse or a particular belief system that there are the different interpretations. Don't let somebody overplay that with you. The tremendous bulk of the Bible, I mean, and I'm totally making this number up, 80, 85, 90%. We're not going, oh, there's all kinds of ways. Thou shalt not lie. What do you think that means? Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means... Folks, a lot of the Bible is thou shalt not lie. It's very direct. It's very straightforward. We're not scratching our head confused on what it means. Jesus is the son of God. Most of Orthodox Christianity really takes that the exact same way. You know, so the idea that the whole Christian faith is just up for votes, up for grabs. No, there's a tremendous amount of agreement. There are not all kinds of interpretation. Now, do we have different interpretations of, of sometimes even big things? Yeah, we do. Like a good example of this would be end-time theology, right? I, I mean, there's at least three different categories of ways of looking at the end times. There's millennial. By the way, this is not a statement about an age group in America. Okay? This has been around for a long time. Amillennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial. That it, millennial, the word millennial is opera there. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. And so the ah millennial says there is no thousand year reign. That's symbolic. The post millennial says Jesus is returning after the thousand years. And the pre millennial says he's returning before the thousand years. Well, they can't all be right, can they? 
So, somebody's wrong. You know, do you have like a list of questions you want to ask God when you get to heaven? I, I, do. I do. You know what one of them is? Hey, Lord, how can people, who, from everything we can tell, who equally love you, desire you, and are following you, and have an equal ability with Scripture, how can they end up in different places? How does that happen, Lord? Because they, these people can't all be right. As a matter of fact, those three categories aren't the end of it. Inside of those categories, there are categories. So if you're a premillennialist, then you've got to decide if you're pre-trib or post-trib. Does Jesus, is the rapture before the tribulation or after the tribulation? Can't both be right. So you got, you got all these. Now that might be where the world would come up to you and say, look at what y'all have done with that. You're all over the map. Nobody can decide. Nobody knows. Hey, do you know all these, these different categories up here? You want to know something about all of them? They all believe Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. They all believe that he is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. They all believe he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. They all believe he's bringing a great judgment. And when that judgment is over, there will be a group in heaven and there will be a group in hell. It's really kind of down in the bushes that we, oh, I think this is the timing. Oh, I think this happens here and this happens over here. The big picture, we're all there. Okay, so again, when somebody's saying, oh, there's all those, yeah, there's interpretations. Yes, there's some differences. Don't let anybody bowl you over with the idea that that means the whole Christian faith is up for grabs. Now, kind of a big one, because we don't part company over end times theology. I, I, I love having coffee with people from other groups and get to discuss that with them. It's not like I, we don't look at them and say, you're an apostate. You're a rebel in the faith. You're not even a believer. That's not what that does. But now one that really has caused a schism is, is baptism. I mean, you, you realize most denominationalism, not only is it an issue of baptism, but, but, but baptism was at a core of a lot of our breaking into different denominations. And it's really over, there's more than this, but the key idea is do we baptize infants as an entrance to the, to the spiritual family or do we wait till that infant, and that infant might be three, they might be 73. But do we wait till that person has communicated their own confession of faith in Christ and baptism follows that as a symbol, as a sign of that profession? And you know what I know the crazy thing about that? That debate did not begin in Scripture. That debate was not because some portion of the church looked at this verse and said it means this, and another portion said, no, this verse is more. But it actually kind of began outside the church. It was really based on some kind of historical, practical issues. To be quite honest with you, babies dying, that's actually kind of what started a lot of that. And so that was kind of what developed the groups. And, and so they kind of had their ideas, and then they went back into Scripture Looking for what it means. But it wasn't the scripture that wasn't clear. The scripture that they divided on. Let me tell you something. I believe strongly in what I believe about baptism. It's not just a belief I hold. I am 110% committed that it comes directly out of scripture. And I sure do, have, I sure do love some people that baptize infants. They, they, are, they are my brother and my sister in Christ. That, an important difference? Yes. 
but it's not something that, that we divide over, something that I say, you're, you're not even going to heaven over. So again, I'm just trying to give illustrations that this idea, uh, there's a difference between a lot of translations and a lot of interpretations doesn't, isn't as big as they're trying to make it. You know, a lot of times today when people say, well, there's a lot of ways to take that. They're not talking about these issues of historical orthodox Christianity. They're talking about moral issues most of the time, right? They're actually talking about the thou shalt not lies. And a lot of times, folks, the way that they're, they're approaching that, it's not a discussion of Scripture. It's not a discussion of what this verse says or that verse says. Really, it's more of how we view the Bible as a whole. And so if I come to this book, and they would not use this word, but if I, if I reject it as God's authoritative word, if I reject it as the voice of God, well, what would they say to us? No, no, no. This, this is a God book. It's a very important book. But it is, just, it is just the writings of people. The writings of people at a certain time in a certain culture. We addressed that last week, right? It's just, you know, and so maybe there's something for us to learn there, but maybe, you know, hey, we're a group of people, we're our own culture, we can kind of go in our own direction. You see, if you don't take this as the holy authoritative word of God, then where you end up can be almost anywhere. But that's not an interpretation issue, that's an obedience issue. Folks, God has really, really given us something incredibly special in this book, his voice. I don't have to... I don't have to crawl around in the dark trying to figure out what is right and wrong. Every uh, 10 years doing a poll to tell me what is right and, and what is wrong and what will... You remember what I read, Psalm 119? The well-being of your life is in here. Strength and life and well-being is in here. That's what God's voice has for you and me. And I say, let's be faithful with it. Let's be faithful with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for that. And God, grow in us not just an emotion, but a discipline. A discipline to read, to study, to memorize, and ultimately to obey. God, thank you that you didn't give us a book that we have to conform to our emotions and feelings, that we conform to our culture, but God, you gave us a book that we can conform to it. We can conform to your word. And, and Lord, I pray each of us, we grow in that understanding, we grow in that devotion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.